Hi, I'm Nate Flax. I'm Noah Longworth-McGuire. And, and this, this is, is Talking, Talking Lion. Lion. Talking Lion is a podcast focused on artist-to-artist conversations. We're primarily artists, a duo called Sleeping Lion. And throughout our career as songwriters and producers, we've had the opportunity to work with so many incredible rising artists. Talking Lion is about hitting record on the conversations we've had with our musical friends and collaborators to get a glimpse into what their life's been like and where it's going. A few reminders before we start. Firstly, we now have a Patreon for fans of the show to show their support and help keep the show going. As a Patreon subscriber, not only will you earn rewards, but you'll also gain exclusive access to a chat room in our Discord server. Here you can talk with us and even suggest questions for our guests. Go to patreon.com slash talkinglion to subscribe. We appreciate your support. As we mentioned, we also have a Discord server that's become a sort of community hub for Sleeping Lion and Talking Lion. We're very active on there and very eager to talk to you about who you are on the show and how you feel about the new episodes, as well as just talking about life. So yeah, come through and you can talk with us. You can make some new friends, share your art, and share your memes. Go to sleepinglionmusic.com slash discord to join our server. We hope to see you there. Lastly, our face is on a shirt. We have shirts now for Talking Lion with our faces on them. If you want to wear us on your shirt, Buy a shirt. It helps support the show and it shows your friends that you like Sleeping Lion and Talking Lion. You can find these shirts on our website, sleepinglionmusic.com slash store. Pro tip, Patreon supporters of the honorary lion tier or higher will get a free shirt. Now back to the show. We recorded this episode with our good friend Dylan Witherow. We've known Dylan for a while through mutual friends, but this was the first time we got a chance to talk since the pandemic started. We recorded this the day after the release of his record titled Before Sunrise. Since then, he started a project with Josh Jacobson called Glassell, and they recently released a single called Words Today. Dylan is a prolific producer and artist who shares our value that the tide rises every ship. He values collaboration and he champions his friends, but he also knows his own worth, which I think is extremely important. It was great getting to know him better in this episode, and we hope you enjoy it. So, without further ado, I'm Dylan Witherow, and this is Talking Lion. Well, hey. Hello. Hello. How are you guys today? <laughs> well, that was a good, that was a good people, who, you know, in, in listener land, he just gave us like a nice like mug cheers. Like I, cheers. I appreciate like a good mug. We cheers. should put a little sound effect there. Yeah. Like a clink. <laughs> like a clink. I like that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good. I'm a little like discombobulated because I got back to LA like three days ago and there are a lot of plates spinning. I dropped a record yesterday so congratulations that's, that's actually one of the reasons i was like let's let's talk because you put out a, a full ass record that's amazing and i was like yeah let's let's have let's have a chat about that just super random but the cover art looks amazing yeah it's real cool like the whole record sounds great but also it looks great and that's something that uh that really is special to us dude i was so surprised um so that record is i I do a lot of things, obviously, and um, instrumental music is just one small section of that. But that record, I spent like a year on it because it's kind of a genre that is new to me in the last few years. And um, I really wanted it to be artistically sound, to to respect the roots and whatever. I finished it up in that room that's on the album cover. That's That was my grandma's house. My dad was raised there and I was raised there. And um, I hadn't been there in like 10 years. And I went back this summer and finished up the record i moved all the furniture and just set a desk in front of the window like that you can see canada on (laughs) on nice days and i recorded um sunrise one morning for the coloring i I took a time lapse of sunrise and i sent it to the artist clegs and she just like imposed the coloring on this photo my friend curry took of me in that room 
I remember that oh, photo. Really I think cool. you sent me that photo when I was like, where in the world are you? Yeah. You know? Wh- where in the world was that again? It's Port Angeles, Washington. It's right at the base of Olympic National Park. So you can nice. walk you can walk for five minutes to the Canadian US Customs and Ferry to Canada, to Victoria, BC, and you can drive for like ten minutes and you'll be at the entrance to the national park. That's awesome. It's cool. I remember when you sent that to me. I'm like, that's beautiful. And I think we were in Colorado, I think, at the time, too. So Woo! we were swapping mountain photos. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what you were saying before the podcast started, Los Angeles can get a little bit overwhelming. So it's nice to, like, sort of get out of it a little bit. But, you know, I, I, we, we saw each other almost a year ago. Almost, almost exactly. exactly a year ago. Yeah. Yeah, at, uh, at Zealand's. Um, Zealand had a, a showcase called Push It Bra, which was like a, right. a women in music showcase um and we were both there talking line actually sponsored the drinks yes we did um <laughs> we, we paid for everybody's drinks but right. that was the last time i saw you and i remember you saying that you were like thinking about doing more artist stuff because up until that point you you know you were working with like liz mcalpine and you were you know like i don't know if you worked with me yet but i knew that you definitely worked with zealand and stuff and we had a bunch of mutual friends that you were working with but you were doing more things on the behind the scenes yeah and and then you said like but I also accidentally wrote like hundreds of pieces of music and I don't know what to do with them, but I hope to like maybe do an artist project or do something like that. Yeah. So it was just very cool to sort of see that come to fruition in the last year, you know? What was that like? Uh, it's 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 really weird because it's still developing. I actually started four projects in the last year and a half. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that that tracks. So, so yeah, it was... It, I think to understand, I have to like scroll back 10 years, I started a band called Witherow and um, I was in it with my ex-girlfriend and that's what I did for a living for six years. And we never got famous, but we made my living. And when we broke up, I moved to Los Angeles and I was just tired of, of singing and being the, the front man. I'd learned to produce. And so I wound up playing guitar for other artists like India Carney. I got to play with like, you know, Louis Tomlinson. And um, I've been playing with Sophia Carson through the pandemic a little bit for, for tapings. Uh-huh. And, uh, that was never the goal. It's just something that happened because I had that skill and I was taking a break. And then like producing has been this wild ride where like I did something for my friend Emily Elbert and then wound up doing a song for Rayleigh that was beautiful. It's the first song I fully like was the producer buddy. And then I did Lizzie's next. And then next I did this song for this guy, Jonah Kagan, who I'm friends with, my homie. But that song's like the biggest independent song in the world when it came out, basically. Then after that, you know, I've got... What was that song? It's called Broken. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's it's like unbelievable. It's his first song ever, and and we're so proud of it. And then I'm I'm doing another with uh, with him, and then, and then a couple others. But it's just kind of springboard. I've got one with Loive, um coming out soon on her record. But yeah, it's it's just like it springboarded. It accidentally happened and became such a big thing. And so I kind of was enjoying that and utilizing those skills from being in a band. But I knew I'd always go back. Um, I featured as a guitarist on my friend Blue Wednesday's single that was on this record record label called Chill Hop. It went out under my name, Dylan Witherow, and smashed all the music I'd put out prior. Just like in, in Count of Streams, it was so embarrassing. So I was just like, you know what? I'll just lean into it. So I got a hold of everyone in the scene that like knew who I was, and we just made a bunch of music. And well, it's like the lo-fi, the, the lo-fi beats to study to. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like space. Yeah, I, we, we were listening to it, and it's just like, yeah, that that's such a specific, but also like very popular genre of music uh, that you sound perfect in that idiom but also i know you do a million other things you know you know it it comes from a different space it comes from 
instrumental hip hop and it, and it slowly turned into this thing that it is. And so I feel like because I'm friends with like Miguel Atwood Ferguson, who's a big friend and mentor of mine. And he works with like Flying Lotus, who's like one of the forefathers in that sound. Oh yeah. Right. It was like, oh, a, yeah. it was kind of important for me not to be a total jerk and disrespect the roots. And so I did my best to like learn it and understand it and become a part of that. I mean, I just wanted to educate myself. My friend Harris Cole, like was so kind in, in teaching me a lot. Um, and so I, I basically worked on a ton of tracks and everything I dropped until this record has been good, but not the thing. The record is like out of a hundred tracks I made in the last year in, in that instrumental lo-fi hip hop thing. These 11 were the ones that were like, yeah, these are dope. I, I actually picked 17 and the label cut it down to 11. They picked the ones that they thought would do well. <laughs> yeah. So some of those B-sides will come out soon that are really great. Like one with Rob Arujo is just like stupid good that's awesome it's weird where, where are you from originally like where did you move to la from port angeles washington that house oh okay so where you were where you were yeah it'd been 10 years because we moved out of that house um after the 2008 recession long story my, right. my dad bought the house back <laughs> kind of sick that's awesome yeah that's crazy great. that's a redemption arc that's right a redemption there. arc that's a full that's a full circle uh dude uh we had like generational security and then in 2008 lost everything. My parents got divorced. I moved into a house. My mom was making 15K a year. I remember she was like 300,000 in debt and we were about to lose this house that we were living in the, the crappy, like the first home they bought for $40,000. And when they were about to lose it, like my dad wrecked a truck that was technically in her name and the money came through right in time. And it was like one of those things where like I was so poor, I'd never known before. But then when I was like 15, 16, it just like, it, life got really weird. So, so the redemption arc is huge. It's, it's, it was crazy yeah, to damn. be in that house again. Um, like, and my yeah. mom built her way back out of poverty. We didn't lose that house. The the one that we were living in after the divorce. Um, and my parents are like homies date, hang out, whatever. Now kind of weird. <laughs> it was crazy. I feel like this summer is the first time I've really hung out with my dad and it was a, a really good time in, in a long time. We drove log trucks in Alaska for a while. Oh, wow. And then, um, kind of since then I haven't really spent time with him so spending the summer in Washington was amazing and spending the winter again he cut the end of his finger off and so I just like was ch oh, chilling in that house finishing up all these records working on Jonah's record and then doing whatever helping my dad because he like couldn't touch anything the nerve was exposed oh damn he like dropped Jesus. he dropped a tra log truck trailer on it actually he didn't but that's a different story <laughs> <laughs> you you work like somebody who understands value like i think that's something that i always really really appreciated about you and i think one of the, the first conversations that we had was about like what it means to do hard work like what it means to like really like turn every stone over and turn whatever. It's like, I feel like that comes from a place of, oh yeah, like we didn't have our parents as like this safety net. You know, we didn't have the the, the upbringing of a lot of the LA people that we know, which is, you know, a lot of family wealth. So you can try this and you can do whatever you want. And there, there's no pressure because if it doesn't work out, you always have a place to be and like that kind of stuff. You always struck me as somebody who worked like that. Yeah, I think my family worked so hard. It was never like in the cards to do something I wasn't good at. And it was never in the cards to not work hard because the goal was never to like make a living. My goal isn't to make a living. I I, I would like to. My goal is to make good music that reaches people and, and eventually, mm. you know, make an impact. And, and, and if I can, I want to make that music with my friends and I want to grow old with those yeah. people making music with them. And like... Mm. My dad's not going to retire. He loves log trucks. And and 
I don't think that's something I want either. I mean, I'll make music forever, even when I quote unquote retire. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's why like I wear the producer hat. I wear the sideman hat and, and I'm wearing the artist hat as a lo-fi artist, as a as an ambient acoustic artist under a different name. And then I'm actually so the other two projects, um, I'm releasing music under the name Witherow again, singing. Oh, wow. After four years off, kind of reclaiming that. And I'm, I'm going to start releasing that this summer. And my friend Josh and I started a band called Glassell, which is going to kind of just be a collaborative space for the Witherow and Josh Jacobson projects. And those songs are really special. That's also, oh, oh, that's that's another connection, Josh Jacobson, that we we both know Josh. Right, right, right. Um, the best uh, boy. Oh yeah, he's and super super talented, bro. It's maybe we, stupid, dude. He, so, yeah, so we were working, crazy talented. We were working on this song. Uh, I, I mean, this is just a. I've worked with a few other pianists and I love them, but there's something about my relationship with Josh and our ability to work together that's so effortless. I, I forgot what it's like to work with musicians that you're not totally comfortable with because I was working with Loive kind of totally randomly on her song Magnolia. Like we went on a hike and she's like, "Hey, would you want to give this a shot?" And I was like, "Come over right now. It's the pandemic. I have nothing going on." We started working on it and then I just like called Josh and I was like, Josh, you got like a half hour? And he's like, yeah. He came over, he did three passes on her song, did like a random ambient track, just talked to her because they both have perfect pitch about <laughs> about influences and his his ability to understand pop and jazz and classical. And then also my tone needs and my sensibilities as a producer. He just came in and just like, boop, 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 dropped three tracks. She lost her mind. I lost my mind. I think in my opinion, what he played made the track. And the track is really special. And it's just like, he does that on everything. One of the things I really appreciated about our conversation at, I, I don't entirely remember where we met, but we did have like a full bro down, like long ass conversation at Miet's release party for the Pendulum Project. So that's- That record was uh, insane. That record's insane. We've had Juan on the on the show too, like their collaborations. Like I love Miet and Ariza working together. Juan, um, Juan is the everything. best at everything. He's Juan, literally the best. Juan is super crazy talented, and he's also like the the like poster boy for make a million projects and don't fucking worry about it. Yeah, literally. like just be good and make cool stuff. He's 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 the advice that I am receiving continually, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. He just said, if you make a million things at what you think to be your eighty or ninety, instead of one thing that you feel like is a hundred, because you might spend three years on a song. Everyone does it. It's just better to do a lot because you'll get better. And by the time you're releasing what that one song is, you might have released 30 songs that are better than that one song because you've learned so much um, just by doing it a lot. And that's why I felt like Lo-Fi was like a place to play and to learn. And also like my ambient acoustic Zarina Frost project, kind of the same thing. I released 56 tracks in the last year on that. And like, I'm basically just experimenting with acoustic guitar miking technique. <laughs> right. I love <laughs> well, that. Noah's been experimenting with like emo rap and like Sick. that kind of stuff. Uh and, and I'm less experimenting and more just like trying to make a folk record. But also, I mean, we, we've toyed around with the idea of just like, you know, making 15 just piano instrumentals and just seeing where they go. Like, yeah. you know, toy around with the idea of like just making like atmospheric shit and just seeing where it goes. Well, and I want to circle back to something you just said, which I think we, we've talked about recently. And I spent a lot of my time thinking about that, like you have an, a, an acoustic project, but part of what it is for you is experimenting with acoustic guitar miking techniques. Yeah. I feel like there's something really powerful about using musical output as also like musical experimentation. Like right. you have a hypothesis like, ooh, okay, la on the last track, I recorded this guitar like this. What if I record it like this? What if I change, you know, change different mics? What if I use different processing? And that every kind of new creative 
uh, piece of music can also be a technical exercise in new ways of creating. So that, yeah, with every iteration, you're trying something slightly different and, you know, learning whatever the 99 ways how not to make right. a light bulb. Yeah. So you can eventually find the best way to make the light bulb, so to speak. I'm probably the slowest producer with actual output um, in LA. And the reason is, is I'm like addicted to that. And I feel like when you make that breakthrough on a track, it's so apparent. Like I had so many breakthroughs on Lizzie's song. Um, Give me a minute, and it's so apparent when you listen to it. That song is yeah. so good. And there, and there's a lot of other music like that, or like Rayleigh's song "Slow," where like you can just tell that as a producer artist combo, we really reach something that is special and new. And um, in putting in that time, I feel I feel like when you're always discovering, when you discover in a recording, that recording is not the most refined version of that discovery, but it is probably the most special. Mm. And it's good to push yourself. I don't know. I, I've learned so much on so many different projects. And like, even on Loy Vays, it was the first time I'd applied a lot of things. And so if you listen to that track, it's totally different than what I've done stylistically or genre-wise, but it still sounds like something I produced. And I don't know. I, I actually was in a lo-fi session with my friend Harris. Um, he released our song under the name, his alias, Alam Iverson. Alam Iverson, two M's. And... Uh, I was just like working with him and saw him do some crazy stuff that is like lo-fi with like, you know, ambient like guitar noises and stuff. And then I went back and I was working on Loi Ve's song and I processed the piano in a similar way and like the strummy acoustic and it created like when people listen to the song, they think there's a music box and a string section. But really, there's just Loi Ve playing cello and then like these crazy manipulated acoustic guitars and pianos in the back that are like, I love awesome. that. yeah, it's just, it's just like. I feel like when you have those breakthroughs on a track, that track is forever special. Maybe I'm crazy and maybe it's just special to me, but I... Th no, but, but I, I totally get that. And also, like, whenever uh, you learn a new technique for doing stuff, yeah. it bleeds back and bleeds forward into whatever you're working on. Absolutely. And it's just, like, a, a permanent part of your toolkit. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say, like, when Noah was working on one of his solo projects, he sort of stumbled down the, the rabbit hole of doing, like, uh, vocal manipulations with Verispeed. But that application, like how gang vocals work or even how like I've been approaching recording stuff. And I'm not a great producer, but like even just like those little bits that like really set a vocal apart or can really create a gang out of, you know, two people, uh, in, you know, in a room yeah. uh, was huge. And that was just like, Noah discovered it. Yeah. Not, not that it's like a thing to discover, but it's like one other thing yeah, that, just one that he added to his tool toolkit that we were then able to sort of like mess around and manipulate with. And so that was, you know, that's a, that's obviously like a really, really powerful thing. But, but yeah. the, the, the thing too, that I, I like gathered from when we were um, hanging out at Miet's release party was that you had your ear to the ground. Like one of the things we were talking about was about all these artists that we felt were just going to be like massive who we, we were, you know, and they are, like, it, and they are, and they are, it happened. What the heck? <laughs> I, dude, yeah, I, these... I feel like we probably talked about like Blue to Tiger. We probably talked about Lizzie. I may have talked about Loive because I was just discovering her then. You know, there's just like some things that we were like, oh yeah, I, I just think this person's sick. I think we were also talking about like Salem and right. uh, dude and holy those, crap, those folks. I'm yeah. such a fan of Salem. <laughs> yeah, she's literally the best. I, she's the sweetest, most darlingest uh, pop star ever. Yeah, and you just see this happen, and you're like, I mean, like it's happening to the right person. That's just how right. I feel. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have more friends that I, I can't wait for them to break through, but I, I'm confident a lot of them will. I'm just like, or like Nika also had this huge thing on TikTok. Right. Like, I'm right, just right, like, right. it's been like really weird to watch as I um turn into a ball in my apartment. But 
Well, I, I keep mistaking you for a Berkeley person, even though I know you're not. It was just because you you kept knowing our friends that we went to school with. Yeah, it's because of Nick Bean like, Blue. He was my best friend when I moved here. And oh, okay. Oh, okay, that's, that's, okay, that's, okay, that's yeah, right. Yeah, he just took me everywhere. He was that. like, this is my wife, Dylan. I'm going to introduce him to all of you. And then I, <laughs> he honestly like would not have made it this far without him. I feel like the first year in LA, it was so formative to be friends with him. And then we kind of drifted apart for a while. And um, then it was good for me to like find my own ground and not be a Berkeley person completely. Yeah. Um, but like without that route, without him, I mean- None of this would have been what it is for me. And and this year's been crazy. For those listening, uh, Nicholas Van Glue, um, other than being the owner of the prettiest eyes I've ever seen. <laughs> True. Uh, in any head, uh, let alone a, a, a man's uh, face. Um, he, uh, he, he, he went, he went to Berkeley with us. He's, he's played with a bunch of our friends, but he also, uh, was Bozzy's touring guitar player. He goes by the donut doctor. He is the goat. He, I think he just released a book about mm-hmm. being a uh, session and touring. Yeah. He's a uh, nutso guitarist. He's a crazy guitarist, but also a really good brain. If you want to learn yeah. about like what, so I just, I'm plugging Nicholas's new book because, yeah. uh, yeah, he's, he's a really brilliant guy as far as, being in that space. I think I moved to LA because of Nick, actually. Nick and How did you guys know each Mason other? Stoops. Uh so that pickup music thing. Oh, right, pickup. Right, 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 Sam, right, Sam yeah. Blakelock yeah. is just one of my best friends before and now and like I don't really work with it anymore. I used to do those live sessions with him, but it's just cuz Sam and I were tight. And like Sam and I were just like staying in a hotel together in in LA before Nam 4 years ago. Yeah, 4 years and a couple months ago. And wow. um and we went and we met like Bianca Richardson and we met Art Meneses. And then we met um, my friend Guy and we met Nick. And I remember going, I had a book with me and I was literally like, oh, I'm not friends with this guy. I feel kind of weird. I'm like being my weird small town because I didn't move to LA yet. And I just like read my like stupid fantasy novel. (laughs) And I wound up talking with Nick and he became one of my best friends. And then he met me, he introduced me to some of his friends. And then we went to like this crazy rooftop thing and like, you know, did the LA thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I met Ariel Shrum then. He he just, Ariel had just gotten his license. He came to he came to meet us for breakfast. It's like second time I've ever hung out with Ariel. Ariel literally just shows up like kind of weird, and we're like, "What's up?" And then he, this is insane. Nick goes, "Hey Ariel, you're parked in a bus zone," because Ariel doesn't really know a lot of the rules of driving. He right, just, right. just started for the first time, and and Ariel just kind of was like, "Yeah, it's it's fine." And we're like, "No, it's not fine." <laughs> so we finish eating and we walk outside. Turns out Ariel had run into the curb and popped his tire. Was too embarrassed to oh. say anything about it. Oh my god. Nick broke his rib the week before and no one else with me knew how to change a tire. So I'm literally laying underneath Ariel's car within like a day of meeting him, fixing That's his so tire. Funny. I feel like we also had a similarly like not like weird, but like quirky. It was a quirky first, first meeting with Ariel, wasn't meeting. it? I feel like, yeah, anybody meeting Ariel, that's like the, the first. Dude, and that's. Yeah, and then he did magic for me, and I thought he was going to steal. Right, and then he does right, magic right, for you, and you're right, like, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, again, for Unreal. anybody listener, listener land context, uh, uh, Ariel Shrum um, is the craziest trumpet player, <laughs> full stop. Uh, goes by Ariel Trumpet. Um, he plays trumpet for, yeah, Louis Fouton. Um, has done some stuff with like uh, Louis the Child and Ash and Ash. Like he's he's just like a crazy, Who also crazy blew trumpet the player. Frick up recently. I mean, Who yeah, also blew yeah, the frick yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's amazing. Um, but also he is as good at trumpet as he is at magic. Magic. Like he legitimately does some of the craziest magic tricks I've ever seen. He made a, a sharpie X on my hand that he drew on my hand. 
disappear to yeah. a different part of my hand. There's a, there's that really great video of him doing magic for Khalid at a festival, oh, and Khalid yeah. just like loses it. Oh, dude, he's also like uh. He was on a commercial, like primetime commercial, and it was oh, his yeah, hands for, doing magic. for Sneaky Pete. Right, yeah, yeah. right. He was, he, was, he was like a hand magic hand. Dude, so he, he's he's allowed, like he's allowed into the magic castle. Yeah, he brought yeah. me. Like he's he's yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It scared the crap so, out of me. <laughs> no, the reason he brought me and the reason I remembered him is because it's a very eyes wide shut place, right? <laughs> magic scares the crap out of me, dude, and he's so yeah. good at it. I'm like, you're gonna steal from me. You're gonna hurt me. You're gonna damage my future children. I don't know what's happening, but I feel like I'm about to like seriously uh, inherit harm from being in your presence. And and I know that he's like maybe the sweetest person I've ever met. Yeah, in my I was about life. to say. So harmless. I, he's so, he's, he's so, so nice. nice. I think, the, I think the, uh, the first time we hung out with him, we hung out with Jakob too. Yeah, yeah. Jakob yeah, was actually yeah, there yeah, the first yeah. time I met Ariel also. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Shout out to Jakob who is also what, like uh, Grammy winning, Grammy nominated, multi-platinum <laughs> producer Dude, Jakob. Is, Jakob's just the... <laughs> He's just the OG chiller. He's just amazing. Really? When uh, when Biden won the election, um, oh, I saw the video. Uh, Echo, Echo Park went nuts, and I love this. I I, I carry on a disposable camera. I'm a, I love this photo. So it was just uh, Lido, Louis Futon, Jakob, and Ariel on the back on of the a back of a truck. flatbed, yeah, like just, yeah, <laughs> rocking out. It was awesome. Honestly, it looked very lit. It was a good time. It was a good time, uh, and. It was the ha- it was the happiest uh, any anybody's been in four years. You yeah, know? <laughs> dude. Yeah, it's been it's been a. I feel hopeful again. I knew you were a great collaborator and songwriter because of something that you did at Miet's thing. And this is this really, really stuck with me, is that I was about to go... I went to Miet's uh, release the day before I went to Chicago. Oh, wow. So I was going to Chicago to see About a Girl, and uh, I was really, really nervous about it, and I just needed to like talk to somebody about it. So you're like, yeah, there's something on your mind. Like, what, what's on your mind? And I'm like... I told you this whole sort of saga about, you know, this girl and why I'm going to Chicago and like all this stuff. And you were just asking the best songwriting questions. Like you were asking questions that like I in my like stomach was like, like, oh, yeah, like this is a good thought to explore. And this is like whatever. And this is, you know, kind of like a a very sort of inspiring way. Like I wound up going home for 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 context. Was was it was he directing questions like it? With the express intention no, of he was, creating songs, he just, was just asking questions like that good dislo- guiding questions, good dislo- guiding questions okay, okay, that dislodged enough that when I went home, I actually wound up writing something. <laughs> Dude, I think people have like two reactions with me. I think some people think I'm really intense and invasive because when you have my attention, you have my attention, and I kind of just look at your eyes. Because I think when I was in high school, someone told me not to look elsewhere, and then I was just kind of like, yeah, where where would I be looking? And so some people are just like, yo, this guy guys like mad eye contact and asks really invasive questions. <laughs> but I just like No, I appreciate it though. Cause I feel like I'm people would also describe me as like a lot or like, you know, very intense or, you know, uh, interested. But but that's just how I like to experience life. Like if I like who you are, I'm just gonna spill my guts a little bit and, and ask you to spill yours, you know? Yeah, either either you're a friend or you're not. And um, <laughs> if I view you as a friend, I'm, I like am genuinely excited to know you. And um, I don't I don't think music has ever really been about networking or anything for me. It's been about just being excited about people and about music and about working with people that I love and am inspired by. I don't know. 
I think I think you carry that ethos with you. And I think that like the reason I really like talking to you at Miet's uh release thing was because you were refreshing. You were you were unlike some of the folks like you you were you were genuine in a way that seemed almost unreal. Like I was like, which is like like obviously a funny sentence, but it was like you were so ready to be honest and friendly without any kind of like preamble or you know conditions or whatever that I for a second I was like guarded for a second I was like oh wow like this is so this is somebody ready to be honest and open that can't be right like that can't be you know dude yeah <laughs> but LA messed with me for a while because everyone's so just like cagey uh, everyone's mm-hmm. like scarred by the the climb and I've been questioning since the pandemic started if I'm even in the right place and then like I look at my friends and I found good people and like I'm making good music. So I'm like, yeah, I am. But I don't really embody the L.A. ethos except hard work and like willingness to chase opportunity. But it's it's more like I do it for myself, but I want to win with my friends. And so like to me, it's it's everybody's winning when when one of us wins, especially if we're, yeah. we collaborate and we're open and, and we're honest and generous with each other. I think it's the only way we say the tide rises every ship. You know, like that's something that's the reason we started doing the podcast was because we wanted to to make a space for people to, to talk to each other and but but for any also anybody who's been on the podcast to understand that the other people who have been on the podcast exist and can be friends and build community you know yeah um i'll send you our, our discord link i'm hoping to turn that into a hub where people can start talking to each other discord's and, crazy uh, yeah i love it man it's been really really cool so this is a huge thing for me i grew up in a small town when i went to go to college i just realized it was hella pricey um to go to private school for music. And, and I just like, I didn't view that as a good idea. And so I decided to go to my local college for like a year. And then I dropped out, not because I was doing poorly, but because I was in a band and I just like wanted to do that. And it was doing well. So I I feel like my entire life has been looking at the world through the glass. And I have like this small chip on my shoulder where I'm like, man, I just want to be a part of history and a part of the Mm -hmm. music that Mm -hmm. reaches people and affects kids like me in small towns who just like want to do the thing or or do anything, you know, like, like to, to become a doctor was also a hard reach. Like our high school, like I had really good grades. I was the ASB president. My friends who were the valedictorians didn't get into, um, Ivy leagues because like an A at our school district counted as a B and it's like, it's like starting in a small town, four hours from, from Portland, three hours from Seattle, being a part of LA, being a part of this community and seeing my friends influencing people going back home and having people back home know who the artists I'm producing for and working with are. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's totally unbelievable. It's, it's like my wildest dream, but it feels like the beginning. It feels like we can do so much more. Well, and I, I love that you use that expression chip on your shoulder. I mean, I I love that song from Legally Blonde, but the reason I love that song from Legally Blonde is because there is something to be said about like coming into this with an intention, coming into this with a little bit of like frustration for where you started in this. You know, like I I I have to fight like certain jealousies for people who grew up, you know, with access to producers, with access to you know, the knowledge of this stuff, especially because we do work with younger people, you know, and, and part of, part of me is like, you're so like, I want to just like say you are so lucky for being this young and knowing and having access to, to us or having access to, you know, like all this stuff. Um, cause I'm also, I'm from a small town in New York. Um, and, uh, and, and mind you, like I, I was friends with somebody who like owned a studio. So I was able to, like in my later teens, go to the studio to record some stuff. But I didn't know all the other 
things. I didn't know about songwriting or sessions and, and all that, whatever. But, but all the same, it's like, there's just so much more information out there now and so much more opportunity out there now than there was when we were kids that, yeah, it's, it's tough not to have a chip on your shoulder going into this, you know? I mean, like 90% of the people I work with in lo-fi who are more successful than me are younger than me. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's cool that they like welcomed in the 27 year old geezer. Um, <laughs> right. But it is, it's really weird because my knowledge of production is very different. I made my first record at 18. I just like hemorrhaged my bank account that I made all this money teaching lessons. And uh, yep, I, yep, yep. I spent 12 grand on a record at Robert Lang Studios in Seattle where like Death Cab recorded plans. I love that studio. I love those people, but I didn't know what I wanted artistically. So like when I went in and I was using nice mics, I was using beautiful spaces on expensive guitars. Like the record sounds fine. Marcel Fernandez, who produced it, killed it. That guy's forever one of my heroes. And he taught me so much about understanding audio. But like, I wasn't ready for that because right. I, I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't know. And so like, since then, like the idea of recording in a nice studio has always been like a beautiful thing. But like, I've been trying to embody that style of recording, but in my bedroom or in a church that I'm borrowing or in whatever space I can get. And so I'm bringing like understanding microphones, understanding how instruments sound in a space, understanding that side of production and, and like being really, really inventive with real stuff. I like don't use any um, VSTs in any of my productions. And I bring that to lo-fi or I bring that to, to like the Jonah and the Lizzie stuff. And I, you know, for a long time, I was worried that I, I wouldn't be hip enough, but I think in the lo-fi circle, they're so not used to having such a like pure source material for samples. They're just like, holy crap, mm. this is cool. And so my record feels cohesive because that is the the common line. It's like my ear for tone that I've developed over, you know, 15 years of recording with mics. And then like the Lizzie song, I was so relieved that people loved it and that Lizzie loved it because it was just a lot of me just doing what I do, which is chasing <laughs> right. around shit with microphones and asking my friends to play really interesting parts. Max Flanders played drums on that. And what he played was magical bad snacks played violin and and uh, we, oh we, yeah, we, we we've her. had bad snacks on some of our stuff she's amazing oh she's 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 also like going off on twitter right now in the best way like i love i finally followed her on twitter and she's just been like really vocal about how to be like smart financially in music and i think that's amazing like like i saw her last really week. fighting the good fight uh, how's she doing i think she's good yeah we, we were just talking about that actually we were talking about like streams to to money I think she shared something that Andrew Huang said about streams and money versus like Twitch versus people buying records versus like all the different ways to make money. We were talking about how like to be a, an independent artist, you just have to do so much stuff. And, and like yeah. major labels aren't really out there to help us until they're ready to exploit us. Whoa, wait, put, put that on a fucking shirt. Yeah. Jesus. And, yeah. And, and I think that the value they can bring to you once you really have got your shit together is is amazing. But definitely. But, but that being said. I think that most of my friends that are blowing up right now, well, you know, if they sign with a major, there's going to be a lot of benefit there. But I think there's, you can do it on your own, uh, but they don't really want you to, you know what I mean? They want to catch you right, right. at the breakoff point, And then they want to super feel you, like get you to the next, next level. And then they don't, well, they don't care. We were, we were talking about this the, uh, the other day too. Also, uh, everybody in listener land for context, uh, Lil Bad Snacks recorded the, uh, violin on our stripped version of How We Know. Yeah. Amazing wow. violinist. If you need a violinist, hit up Lil Bad Snacks. But yeah, we were talking about the other day, uh, and that I, I've actually always had a, a bit of a chip on my shoulder about, uh, about studios and about, and about gear, because in my head, Pro audio at the five figure level uh, always felt very classist to me. Like in my my head, it was always like, 
oh, you know, because my, my dad tried to do music, but the only way for him to get into music was by, you know, dropping, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on equipment. And, and so I was always sort of like, oh yeah, that was a way that, that they kind of like forced the checkmate of if you want to make music, you have to, you know, sign with a label that can front that bill. And of course, there was also the distribution of records, but we we actually seized that means of production by having, you know, virtually free ways of distributing our music to all platforms. Yeah, Bedroom Pop changed that. I think Bon Iver, yeah. Bon Iver was the first Bedroom Pop artist. Yeah, I, Interesting. Oh, absolutely. It changed everything. Also, in a lot of ways, I think about like Imogen Heap. And how, mm. like, like, Imogen Heap... Yeah, I mean, her Imogen words Heap, are like, so good. Yeah, yeah, she's so good. But also, yeah, I, I feel like she she explored. I mean, she had access to money and equipment and stuff, but I feel like she also explored ways of having really, really intricate sound design somewhat cheaply. Yeah, you know, and that's that was really interesting to me. Yeah, um, but but that's the thing is like I feel like my my baggage around like studio equipment has always kind of been in. Oh yeah, this is how this is another way that labels tried to control artists. Just discussing the classes thing, I actually think it's really weird because once you have an ear for audio and, and once you mm-hmm. know how to record, once you know how to really like understand frequencies and put stuff together, which I think I, I'm still figuring out, but I spent my lifetime on that. So I'm, I have a knack at it, a knack for it. Me and my, my best friend back home, Curry, were talking about it. It's kind of like once you get like one piece of decent analog gear, everything just sounds professional all of a sudden because you already <laughs> understand it. And then you get like the one gear and you realize like, Becoming a good mixer is either classist or what you do is you have to do the super old school thing. You go to school for it, you get an internship and you get to practice while you don't get a credit on the album that you, you did like a assist, right. assistant mix on, on like a Grammy winning album and you get like a piece of paper in the mail instead of a Grammy for participating. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, that's, that's, that's weird. It's kind of tight, but it's also like, and it's cool to have access to someone else and to have mentors and all of that, but it's just not the way for me. Well, I think I think a lot about how like a, a lot of the biggest pop records are mixed by like, you know, CLA or Serpent Ganea or now Serpent Ganea's brother, Alex Ganea, that there, there are like 12 dudes in the space of mixing. And yeah, they have like little teams of interns underneath them, but that that it is this extreme, like mixing itself and mastering too, is this kind of arcane wizardry art that's like very you know, like, yeah, that there is a kind of like pedigree to, but that, you know, that, that most pop people, once they hit a certain level, will go to those people just because it is like this last like 2% of quality, but that you also have like, you know, records like, I mean, I, I guess I like it when you sleep was also, I think mixed by Serban at a certain <laughs> point, but like that they got to a level without any, any kind of external people on their team. And that if you do understand audio and you do use your tools to the best of your ability, that that gets you 95% of the way there and that you can make great records that really like impact people without going to this kind of weird old guard of, of, <laughs> of top tier mixers. What I will say about the old guard though that's kind of cool is um, I wanted to work with my friend, my friend Rhoda, and I was working on some tunes that sounded like him and I was like, yo, these kind of sound like me, but they kind of sound like you. Do you want to just collaborate? And I think there's something to be said about using the piece of gear that sounds like the thing you want it to sound like, not a replica of it. And like, if you want to yeah. sound like Michael Brower mixed your record and you have access to that, I mean, that's the that's the best way to make it sound like Michael Brower mixed your record is if Michael no, Brower. Exactly. It is tough though, because like, you know, and this is another reason why like it's, it's exciting to champion our friends and to have that be like the good people be the ones that sort of like make it to, you know, sort of make it to the top because like you know, just like when when Billie Eilish popped off, everybody was referencing their stuff. 
when they were coming into sessions, the culture of music is affected by people who are essentially winning in it. So yeah. if, if it, you know, if it is the same 12 people mixing and mastering this stuff, then it will continue to be the same 12 people. But like, you know, the fact that it was, you know, mixed by Zip Tie. Yeah, I was about to say that. that mixed Salem, then he gets to now have a conversation about, yeah. oh, well, okay, you can go to these people to sound like this, but you, ha- you know, you got to go to this guy to, to sound like Matt sound at Disney. Like Matt or at or Disney, you know? no, exactly. I would be fine if I left LA right now and I moved to Port Angeles or, or even better the Midwest, I'd have no friends, but I would be able to survive. Every time I think about, like every time we go to Colorado, I'm just like, why don't we just stay here? <laughs> Yeah, and then I remember, and then I remember that we pay like uh, extortionate uh, uh, rent, um, and that's why we stay where we pay for. Yeah, because uh, it costs uh, an arm and a leg, and uh, I'm running out of arms, but I always have legs. Man, uh, <laughs> insanity! So, what's next for you guys uh, musically? Wait, oh, oh, oh my! Is God. he allowed to do that? Are you allowed to do? Is that? he allowed to do Did that? You just get asked a you question. Get asked a question? <laughs> <laughs> you can cut it out. Um, I just want to know. No, no, <laughs> no we, that's uh, great. Uh, yeah, I love we're, that. We're working. So we're working on our our own record, um, which is called Most Improved. It's close. Like, yeah, I, it's getting I, there. We're tr- we're trying to package it so that um, like it's like ninety five percent done, but then we can like bring it to a label and be like, hey. Uh, we are really sick of being indie. Um, do you want this? And do you want to uh, help us pay for the cooler parts of it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're sort of putting that together. And actually, the thing I'm really, really excited about, and actually something we're doing later today, is we're going on Zoom to chat with this acapella group. So there's an acapella group called Under Arrest that for, I, we didn't know about this, but for the ICCAs two years ago, they actually did a version of one of our songs. Sick. So we we got in touch with them. We're like, you're awesome. Like, that's amazing. And there was a song we've been playing live for a while um, called Wine Drunk. And we kind of just played it like me singing Noah playing keys. But we'd always thought like, it'd be really cool to have this be like Creeks or have this be like Hide and Seek, but not with a vocoder, like having an acapella piece. Wow. And the other piece of it was, it would be really, really cool if if we were able to pull that off and find somebody who could make this an acapella piece, what if they could also arrange it so that the outro is like the John Bellion Hand of God, like, you know, last... Last act of a Yo. Broadway show, Yo. bringing in all the, bringing in all the themes from the record in this sort of acapella space, and so Yo. this guy Spencer Camacho, shout uh, out Spencer, shout out Spencer, did it, and it's awesome, it's like crazy, oh, it's I hear it. so cool. That, that so yeah, uh, it's, that uh, Hand of God song is like top ten favorite yeah. of all time for me. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Here's where here's where I'm going sort of crazy because uh, the thing, you know that like we are just big community people that like mm-hmm. even our last song we're fine like people don't necessarily know this cuz we didn't ad- we intentionally didn't advertise it but on the chorus we had about 15 people on it and including like Salem uh Amelia uh Ali uh Yost from Australia Sad Alex like we had just a bunch of Akira yeah. Kazarin we had a bunch of our friends actually singing this chorus like sort of, you know, like credited, but uncredited. Like we didn't make a big sort of thing of it. What we really, really want to do for this acapella piece is, yeah, this acapella group's recording it, but 
my goal is I want a hundred people on this record. Yeah. So we're gonna send the acapella out to like hell to like to to you Please. to you know to Miette, to Zealand to everybody uh, and just see if we can get a hundred people to sing in this giant virtual choir essentially. Dude, I think records have got to be about cataloging a period of your life. And, yeah. and it yeah. seems like when I met you, you were like part of what we talked about that last time I saw you. Um, I think it was at a birthday party. Uh, it was really small. It was with Zeeland and, and um, DJ. And when we were talking, I feel like you were in that same space where you're like, I've spent so much time working with friends and helping boost other people's careers. I just want to do my own music for a while. And like, obviously still do both, but you want to prioritize yourself. So I think it's cool that like you would, you'd be lifted up by those who you lift up in that. Yeah, exactly. That, that to me feels like, that feels like a thing. Well, I I feel like if we got a hundred people on the song of like all of our friends that we made music in this time, I could quit the next day and feel like we, like I, I like I have a souvenir from this time. Yeah. Like I feel like I could quit and say like, yeah, we fucking worked with 200 people and it yeah. shows. Yeah. And, and, we expressed ourselves and it shows and we we did something that that only we could do and yeah. it shows. Yeah. And and that's that's you know, that's all I could ask for at the end of the day. The record I, I released yesterday has a, a lot of collaborations on it. And it kind of, I love how many people are on it. It's so like special. Yeah, I just like to be honest, this year I've really like spread myself and I haven't done much just me. Cause I just like people and I've also been so much more productive that way. Um, like in 2020, I worked on like 300 songs. I mastered like 200. I, I played on like a hundred chill up ones. I released like 56 as Zarina Frost. And then I have five with Josh and then the Loive one, the two with Lizzie, Jonah one. It, 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 it's just like, to me, it's so much more fun when your friends are involved and in the, the record, yeah. the lo-fi one that just came out. I just like it. I like all those people. It's cool that like one of them's from South Korea. One of them's from Australia. He's in Sydney right now. He's not from there, but he lives there. And then like a few are from Canada. A few are from the Northwest like me. It's just like everyone's all over and it feels cool. I've, I've released a, a beat tape with my friend Alex from Denmark. Two of the boys from my record are in Germany. It's just like unbelievable for the boy from a small town who was looking at the world through the glass to now make a beat tape literally from home looking through the same glass but with friends mm -hmm. from all over the world like i remember one morning my dad my dad so he gets up at one two three to go drive his log <laughs> truck in the woods you know he's up before sunrise every single day of of my entire life he doesn't sleep very well very much he goes to bed pretty early and so i'd like eat dinner with him it was basically my lunch and then i'd wake i'd still be up recording at like one or two and i'd record him I mean, not record him. I'd, I'd like make him sandwiches and he'd go out to the woods and work. And, and, and then he'd get back and I'd be sleeping sometimes. And he's like, you're so lazy. And I was like, dude, I'm, <laughs> I literally worked on a track with this guy from Australia last night, like all night, <laughs> you know? And then, and then I woke up and worked on a track from this guy from Germany that like I sent to him yesterday and it like came back half done today. It's like, it's, it's kind of an unbelievable thing. And he was just like, it's one of the only times my dad has ever apologized. He was like, you're right. You're not lazy. And I was like, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I have to give my mom some shit for it because it's like, yeah, I go to bed at four o'clock and I wake up at like 11 or noon. Um, and it's, you know, that's three o'clock on the East Coast. And so I'll be like, oh, good yeah. morning. And she'll be like, well, good morning. I've already done this, this and this. I'm like, okay, but like you were asleep at four in the morning. So, you know, don't. But yeah, you know, I I, I, I think I think it shows, shows in your worth. The only 
I gotta say, Dylan, the only bone I have to pick is that you that you named your record before Sunrise, but you've never seen that movie. Yeah, and it is one of my favorite movies <laughs> because uh, it's amazing. I should probably watch it. Um, to be honest with you, the record name came from the title track from working with my friend David and just like talking with David. And I was recording a lot before Sunrise at that time. It was like I'd wake up at the pandemic during the pandemic in Los Angeles at 6 a.m., record something and go back to bed. And so it just like felt linear. I didn't know there was a movie. I'm sure David did when he like named the track with me. <laughs> so really shame on David Tenderspring for not telling me more. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I love that guy so much. He's probably the reason I'm, I'm doing everything I'm doing now. Yeah, he, he and just a few s- small other people, like a small group of people, not small people. Well, so, so, you know, like Richard Linkletter, um, like did you know, School of Rock and stuff. And he was, you know, praised for doing this movie called Boyhood, which is like, they actually like filmed this kid growing up. Yeah, the movie's crazy. Uh, oh, you know, over the course of 18 years. But that's not even, I think, his greatest like chronological linear accomplishment. Right. I think that the before trilogy is because they basically, like the first movie... Between the first movie and the second movie, it was actually filmed 10 years apart. And between the second movie and the third movie, it was actually filmed 10 years apart. Um, this guy had long and game. Takes, and takes place 10 years in difference uh, throughout the trilogy. And it's just about like how like love exists and evolves and is complicated and is weird. And like the first movie is like a very quintessential like ro- like romantic comedy thing. The second movie is a very, very complex, like complicated exploration into how life is just, just very, very inefficient. <laughs> how like life is not convenient in, in how, you know, star-crossed lovers necessarily like come together, whatever. And I'm obsessed with it. I think that it's a very beautiful movie and I'm just going to, gonna plug it <laughs> i'm still in my like just got back to los angeles procrastination phase so i'll watch it tonight just uh go for it <laughs> nice yeah did you have that when you travel and you come back and you're like a little bit just like all over the place my focus is like bless you i actually I, I, I have that as a general rule all the time <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> for me because i um, when I, if i'm traveling it's generally to rome because that's where my parents live and when i come back that's a i mean now it's a nine hour time difference when i come back to la I wake up, my body, my circadian rhythm just naturally locks into this this place where I'm waking up at like 7 wow. a.m. with a ton of energy. So when I get back to L.A. for like a week or two, I'm like the most productive I ever am. Like when I come back from, from vacation, I just wake up with a ton of energy. I'm like, I'm going to work out. I'm going to make breakfast. I'm going to go do this thing. And by noon, I've like done 13 things. And then I, I try to maintain that momentum and it never works. <laughs> my body just pulls me back into into its what what its natural kind of circadian rhythm of like staying up till 2 and waking up at 10. Whoa. But it's, it's frustrating no knowing that I have that in me when jet lag is involved and then having it taken away from me. You just need to fly more. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Last time um, we went to Colorado, we actually had like a near-death experience. No. Um, so when I got back this trip, most of the time when I got back from a trip, I like, yeah, maybe take a day or two to get into it and then I'm like into it. But when I got back from this trip, I was just like in fight or flight mode, like in these random moments. Like I would have like kind of like these weird sort of PTSD situations. Uh, so I just, uh, like light, like PTSD light, but like I, you know. Lowercase PTSD. Yeah, low, lowercase PTSD. Instagram light. I, yeah, I would just, uh, it was it was PTSD with ads. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I, I worked a ton when I got back just yeah. to like, just have something to distract myself from like, just this sort of like really kind of freaky, you know, uh, uh, automobile situation we got into on the on the way over gnarly
pausing the podcast to remind you that we have a Patreon that you can subscribe to if you want to support the show. If you're enjoying this episode, but you're thinking that you've got a burning question for an artist, or you just want to talk with us, or maybe you just want to mug with our faces, our Patreon's the way to go. So go to patreon.com slash talking lion to subscribe. Now back to the show. Can I ask you guys another question? I, I think this would be uh, valuable for me and other people. Absolutely. I, I still can't believe he's allowed to do that. I this changes the entire... You've broken, you've broken the game. You've broken the whole, the whole game. Well, I mean, you know, it's been a while since we've talked and we're friends, but I, I was just wondering how you balance being a collaborator and somebody who lifts others up, being producers, songwriters, and then also being artists yourself. Because I feel like as an artist and a songwriter and a collaborator, the way I do it is probably different, but I'm just wondering how you guys do it and how you prioritize projects. And, and, uh, and, not um, well. Um, it's, <laughs> it, it's an ongoing. It's an ongoing battle. I, I that that's probably. I would say, uh, to the extent that there is like philosophical trouble in my life, that is the biggest philosophical trouble I'm currently running into. Of just like, of the the energy management, and the time management of of how yeah how how do you manage the push and pull between what I want to do individually and and. Well, it's not even binary. Like it's it's it'd be one thing to be like you know how do you like juggle. Um, you know, your, your projects with other people with like your artist project, but like, we are also evidently podcasters. Like we are also screenwriters and sound designers and we like working in different areas of media, of media. I'm very business oriented. So I tend to spend a lot of time on the phone with artists talking through like sort of management type stuff. So it's just, it's, you know, I feel like it's really, it, it gets somewhat dicey and complicated. And I think it shows that we've worked, like we, between the podcast and the people we've worked with, that's, you know, hundred millions of monthly listeners. Right. You know, of the people, like of the sort of combined output of the people that we talk with and work with. But but Sleeping Lion itself is like brushing 40,000 yeah. uh, on a good week. And so I feel like that that's something that we're trying to bring bring back into it is how do we make this community thing not so abstract? Yeah. Part of that is is the podcast. Part of that is this Discord that I'm, you know, that I, that I'm putting together. Part of that is things like I mentioned with Wine Drunk of like getting people on the record. And and part of that is working on our our own solo stuff to try to explore what makes Sleeping Lion Sleeping Lion and what makes Nate and Noah Nate and Noah. Yeah, I think I think I think to answer the question a little bit too. I think one, I feel like I'm trying to find areas because there is obviously always opportunity cost. There's always a, always a situation where it's zero sum. Like if I'm working on this, then therefore I am not working on this other thing. Yeah. And that other thing is suffering. So you're always having to make that choice. But I also think that, you know, the better I am as a solo artist, I spent all most of last year like working on a solo record. And I, I made the deal with myself. Like this is a solo record. Like this is like, I'm trying, this is my like, you know, a Bonnie Vare for Emma, like Alito, everything. Like it's like more like, or a record that's like more or less just me alone in a bedroom. What can I create me alone in a bedroom? And I think that even though that was to the exclusion of collaboration, um, the journey that I went on artistically with that record made me a much better collaborator. I feel much more like effective in sessions because I spent a year honing my chops as a writer, like a capital W writer. So I feel yeah. like, I feel like I try to, I, the, the way I kind of get myself out of the bind of, of like the anxiety of, oh, is what I'm doing? Because I think wh- where it gets tricky, like where you're sort of asking the question is like, you know, how do you juggle it? Because there's always the anxiety of, oh, if you're doing this one thing, then maybe this other thing is suffering. But I think I try to remind myself that the more time I spend working with other people, the more I ultimately learn about myself and the more time I spend working by myself, the better I am ultimately at being a collaborator. So it all it's all... Every creative endeavor, as long as like I'm being honest with with myself about my purpose and my intentions, and even if I'm not, 
that that there's even if I don't even know in the moment what the value of something that I'm doing is that that I don't I try not to doubt that it has value because I know down the line even if I don't even see it at the moment that that something I'm doing on on a given day even if it's completely you know even if it if it's outside of like the project management sheet of like what I should be doing in the moment yeah. can ultimately reinforce and make better and make really special the coll- either the collaborations that I go into or the solo stuff that I go into. Well, and there's also, I think, a level of trust too that like he knows that if at any point the value question is a question, my job is always, like I know where value is. Yeah. Like I'm always looking to see, one of the things I love the most about this job is that I'm always looking to see, uh, oh, you know, what could be uh, a project that could be a long-term investment. What is? How do we pay our rent next month? But also, how do we pay our, our rent uh, a year or two from now? And just always looking to see what has potential and what we're excited about. But I think also uh, to, to that vein too, my my goal uh, my goal personally has never been that I want to make m- music that affects people and has an influence on on culture or that resonates with people. My goal is that I've always wanted to make something that resonates with people. And it happened to be that that's music in my life mm. right now. But mm-hmm. that like if somebody's listening to this podcast episode and that inspires them to, you know, put out music or collaborate with their friends, uh, that counts. <laughs> like yeah, that, totally. that means something to me too. That's a long answer to a short question, but I yeah. think it's a wonderful question and that's why I wanted to answer it, right? I also think that like with me, I don't I, I feel like there's a level of really believing in people to where you know like I, I love what I do. I love the music that I'm making that's for me that has me singing on it. I think it's some of the the coolest stuff I've ever done. And I feel like it's my ultimate expression of music because that's the way that I started. I've, I've never really been a guy who transcribes stuff. I've never really been somebody who does anything but just like what I want to do. Side manning and, and producing for other people has been such a beautiful road for me to learn. But the reason I produce for other people is because I believe in them, frankly, so much mm-hmm. more. Yeah. Sometimes so much more than myself. I'm like, I right. see someone like Jonah and I'm like, dude, honestly, the world is yours. I yeah. just, and I, yeah. and I want you I want you to reach the highest level of yourself making music that matters. And 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 my what I feel like I'm doing is I'm like assisting him and making, you know, whatever songs I do work on with him or Lizzie. I just I want to like give them the years of me like really trying to make something genuine so then I can make something with them that's combines their genuine songs and their voice and and their ear for music with like my like genuine production to like reach as many people as possible but maintain like a little dirt, you know. I don't I don't necessarily yeah. Perfect shine. And, and that's that's where I think it does get a little bit complicated because I think it's a lot easier for us to to, be, to believe in other people Same. than it is to believe in ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so for a while, especially when we first moved to LA, I don't think I would ever say it out loud, but in my gut, I always felt like we were betraying our beliefs, our like belief system in this community by working on our own music. Mm. Like we would even tell our manager, like, why work on our own stuff? when there are all these people who have just like incredible amounts of potential. That's why I stopped. Uh, you know, and and I think that we've actually put in a lot of work to like not feel that same yeah. thing and to be able to say, we're not betraying anybody by working on our own stuff. And if anything, we're going out to come back. Yeah, like we're, exactly. We're learning, we're experimenting on our own project and getting our own feelings out in our own projects so that we can come in with the skills that we learn from that, mm-hmm. you know, with, with other people. Um, but also, I, I think I think you know one thing I try to remind myself is that in the same way that you know that that I 
am subconsciously and silently like rooting for my friends, like seeing, you know, people who I really believe in, even if I'm not like helping them on a project, just like, oh yeah, like you got something really special. Like I really want to see you break through and do better. Like I know that our friends feel that way about us and there's almost a sense of like, uh, mm. uh, of du- duty's not quite the right word, but there's a sense of like- You do that and we'll be here when you get back. Yeah, yeah. A, a, of wanting to like make my friends proud and, and, and make making the people who, who have, who have you know, followed us this far in the journey. Yeah. Give uh, them something they can they can champion and 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 be proud of uh, for, for, for their friends. I feel like that's one of the things that just keeps me going. Well, I think that's something that like you've earned at 27 and that I feel like I'm earning at 25 and I like I I feel it is that we don't have the um necessarily the same pressure of uh this is how you become a like quote unquote young star or whatever right. like like I feel like when we were 18 19 when we were starting to do this there was all these things of like this is how you do it. And this is how clean it has to be. And this is like, yeah. oh, whatever. Like, it, I now feel like we get to decide how we're doing this on our own terms. Yeah. Because the the rule book says that we should be done. doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. The rule book says that we should be and done. And we are currently we, in a complete upheaval of what it means to be an artist in the modern world. So so the thing that's yes. daunting about that is that it's there. there's no rules. But the thing that's exciting about it is that there's there no, no rules. rules. We literally get to do whatever we want and and just connect with an audience in whatever way, whatever ways we can, being the Discord and a TikTok. And like that, that it's all just tools in our toolkit. And that, that yeah, that the being an artist now isn't just this narrow minded, like you put out records and you, they do really well. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's this totality of, of everything that you do and everything that you are. And, and I feel like if this was maybe five years ago, whatever, like we wouldn't feel the same way. We all wouldn't feel the same way about, uh, you know, all of our like, friends won p- without labels. all of our friends. Yeah. You know, all of our friends won without it. And also just like being able to put out stuff, like being able to yeah. like make whatever we want and express ourselves how we want, you know, because we are so worried about, well, you know, can we, can we make it as a young artist? Like, yeah. whatever. can we get this can we, to number one on hype machine? Yeah. Like, you know, it's machine. like hype machine, baby. Yeah. You know, we're hype machine dinosaurs. Yeah. But, but yeah, I feel like what's been really exciting is that like we get to now decide all right, if we're not going to be prodigies, how do we do this on our terms? Yeah. You know, if we're if we're not being whisked away by our father to Vienna, you know, uh, then... What? I was a, Mo- a Mozart? Amadeus? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I was like, if we're not being yeah, whisked yeah, away sure. to... V- yeah, if we're not being whisked away to Vienna, then how how do we comfortably be Salieri, you know? <laughs> Dude, I yeah, I, I was a guitar prodigy in my community, you know what I mean? I was like so much better than I should have been for how much I knew. And... um. I feel like I've just become more and more rounded since I got here. So like, I feel like my view on music is so much more um, well-rounded now. I'm I'm a producer. I am a songwriter. I am a singer. I am a guitarist. I play other instruments. I, I, and I really wanted that fast fame for young people. I remember like when Hosier made it, he was like 24 or something. And I was like, see, old people can make it. It was insane. <laughs> and maybe he's 26. <laughs> maybe he's 26. But I was just like, you know, like so different. Um, and I have a lot of young friends who are like, I'm old, and they're like 21, 22, and I'm like, dog. Right. right? No, yeah. You literally are not. And 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 so I don't know. It is it is crazy. The the reason I asked is is I have like everything I've produced has done incredibly well, which is a blessing. I'm lucky. My friends are. We're all lucky together, and we're winning, and it's cool. Uh, everything I've done on my own that I sing on has been like relatively unknown. I mean, it was a long time ago and I'm about to launch again. We'll see what happens. I expect it to be unknown though. Even the stuff I'm putting out (laughs) that I really believe in. 
And then like this instrumental thing, I, I never really set out to do it, but I have, you know, 160,000 monthly listeners as an acoustic guitarist under my grandma's name. And then I have a million as like Lo-Fi Beats Boy. And, and it's just like a bit funny because I feel like the truest form of myself, all those are expressions of me, but the truest form is really when I'm singing and playing on a song I produced on. Right. Right. Well, and that's, and, and that's kind of what we were playing at, which is like people think that it's like you're either making money from music or you're not, but sometimes you can get the bag, but it's not the the part of the music that you feel the most connected to. I do yeah. I do and, feel a lot better with it being music. I, I am an artist as myself under my name paying my rent, and my rent is higher right. than it has ever been. And, and, <laughs> and I can do that, you know, and I'm yeah. saving. And, 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 I've, you know, I've been so, I've been so poor for so long. My brain has been melting, you know? And so it's amazing for that. And it's amazing as a producer to see my stuff and, and music that I love winning. These, these artists are the people I would pick to win and they're winning. Right. Yeah. And that's cool. Uh, so I'm not like playing guitar for people playing, you know, I played on MTV during the pandemic. That's insane. But, but that's it, awesome. But it's kind of funny because like, I feel like I've just been like, I was making money in my Ford Fiesta on tour because I was driving a Ford Fiesta on tour, which does not have space for anything. We physically had to unbolt the back seat to make space for stuff. And like, so to me, it's always been like, I've been making money doing music fine. Well, not fine, but like I've been making it somehow by the seat of my pants, by being very poor and, and knowing how to be poor. And now it's like, I feel like I'm like zoning in on like the closer, closer to my authenticity, closer to myself but but i think there's that balance because what i want to do right now is drop everything well i still love producing for people i, I don't want to drop everything that's the that's the split <laughs> no but but I, I i get that like like but if i could really fold, folding it into like just working with the people that you want to and you know making the music that you want to like I kind of already I, you know i guess that's you i mean yeah i mean I, I feel i feel that but also yeah but but also yeah that that you know there's always there's always another we're always moving the field goal you know yeah if i could have it my way i would just be in, in cold play and my friend, my three friends would be the three friends I work with, and we'd be the biggest band in the world, right? But, but that's right. like literally never going to happen. So, so the um, you know, I still make music with that hope, but like I know that's not going to happen. the 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 goal now is is much broader and bigger, and I think it's yeah. about educating the young Dylan inside of myself about community and about people winning together, and and not in a vulture way at all. Like I just want to lift people up and make dope music with my friends. But anyways, so that's that's the weird struggle I'm in right now. Is like. How do I be more grateful for the su success I have, but then also how do I prioritize the music that I think brings me the most emotional satisfaction? Yeah. And I, I think that the answer is you just take it song by song. You take you it, day, you you take take it, it day by day. You just start a day by day with it. When it gets you know, existential, like, you get nothing done. Yeah, yeah no, that, that, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I've never, I've never uh, felt happy about anything I've thought too much about. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I think that the things I'm the most, you know, at the end of the day, the things I'm the happiest about are the things that like, feel right in, in my gut and just sort of feel right when you're just sort of, you know, living it. Sometime in April, I'll be releasing the first singing project with Josh Glassell. Light Perfect. On. We started that song October 22nd, 2018 session. Uh, honestly, we were supposed to get coffee and then he was like, Oh, I thought we had a session. I was like, session? I don't do sessions. What are you talking about? I don't <laughs> I don't let people into my life. And I, I just go on ambiguous coffee dates with everyone. And I, I went to his house and we wrote the song and I was like, what? And then I showed it to my mom when I went home for Christmas. And she's like, dog, you should probably make a band with him. And I was like, okay. And then I like came back and I did. And um, it took us three years because of both of us being really busy and whatever. But we're starting to release like five tracks. 
Well, I think also ha- having people be comfortable with the fact that, like, yeah, sometimes projects take a fuck ton long time, but it's yeah. worth it. Like, yeah, those are worth it. I'm excited that it's going to exist in the world, and if you're and if anybody's listening, check out check out the project. Yeah, song's called Light On. Uh, the band's Glass Light Hell. On, nice, like Glass Hell Park. Yeah, but that'll be that'll be a whole new experiment and thing. I feel like the rest of what I'm doing, it, it feels like a rising tide if I keep working on it. So I needed to gamble with more of my heart, give myself we, more risk we, of failure. We 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 really we love you and we fuck with you because I feel like there are there aren't a ton of people who resonate with that tide rises every ship like community aspect to the degree that I feel you do and we do. And so like it's just it's very exciting to meet somebody. I think that's one of the things we connected on when we were at Miet's place, which was just like getting really excited for our friends and just like being there and showing up for them and doing right by them. So like, I really, I just, I really, really appreciate about that about you. Are you ready for the question round? Are you ready for the question round? To start, we actually have a question from our Patreon subscriber, Alan C. He wants to know, what do you think dreams are? I've been thinking a lot about this lately because a friend of mine and I talk regularly about what the implications of our dreams are. I wrote a song about dreaming this summer, about drowning in my sleep. And, um, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, obviously like sleeping dreams, I feel like they can be insight to how we feel and to how we deal with the past and how we deal with our expectation for the future. And my friend Rayleigh and I talk a lot about that. And so we try to remember our dreams as, as funny as they are or, or crazy or sad or scary um, because I think there's a lot to unlock there. I went home for the summer and stayed with my dad and uh, I used to have nightmares that I fell down the stairs there and I was about to hit the ground and right before I'd hit the ground, I'd wake up and I'd have sleep paralysis. And I had that recurring dream for maybe 10 years and staying in that house for the first time since I was 15, it went away and it permanently went away. I never had that dream again. Um, so I think there was maybe unfinished business for me mentally there. And I know that we're actually referring to dreams like like uh, goals, like things we hope for. I think to dream something great is to put expectation on yourself in the future. And I think that's really wonderful and beautiful. But as I've gotten older, I've realized the best thing I can do is have a broad dream and be open to, to being flexible. You know, I want to be a rock star. I want to be a musician who plays for thousands and thousands of people who know my lyrics, but if the lyrics they know are Jonah's or Lizzie's and I get to produce that song and and direct that music with them, I still did my dream, still a part of that. It's just so much has happened in the last few years where I realized like some of the things that happen to me naturally and uh, and organically are even better than the things I could hope for for myself. Um, There was an artist I really wanted to work with for a long time and I worked with them and it was great. But I realized who I was already working with was so special. And it's one of those things where I've, I've worked with a lot of pianists. And, and at the end of the day, the pianist I love the most is um, my hometown best friend, Curry, or, or Josh Jacobson, who I'm in a band with. And like, I love the other people I've worked with, and they're amazing. But the people I'm most comfortable with are, are the ones I think I'm going to change the world with. And um, when it comes to dreams, I feel the same way. I feel like setting a broad vision and goal is, is really important. But 
you know, it's what's just going to happen. And I think that success will come from being organic and, and doing the things that we're most drawn to naturally in that moment. Because, you know, five-year-old Dylan, 13-year-old Dylan, he didn't know about TikTok and he didn't know about recording at home. He didn't know about microphones. And, and now that I know about those things and I know about guitar and I know about music and I know about relationships and friends and songwriting, it, you know, my, my dream might change a little bit here and there, even though the North Star is kind of the same. It's just making music that matters. What is your phone background? Oh, this is pretty embarrassing. It's a quote that my friend Danielle sent me, my save screen. Uh, she didn't even, no, I screenshotted her story on Instagram. She posted a story <laughs> of like an inspirational quote that was like, it, it was, a, I, I can't see it because you guys are on my phone, but it's it, it's along the lines of like, you miss every shot you don't take. No, what it is is it's, um, it's like doing doing the easy thing now makes life harder later. <laughs> Ooh, Ooh, that is a good quote. I'm that's so a really lazy. Good, that, is, that is a good thing to have as a mantra, though. Like, I just that's, like that's some fundamental well, like habit building shit right there. Especially as I pick up my phone and I'm about to doom scroll. You know, it's like right, right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, do I do it? Do I eat this piece of cake? Nah, that's my phone. When I think, I think stuff like that is something that you need to be reminded of constantly. Like it's like it, I think that's what it's helpful about. Like quotes are nice, like when you see them every once in a while. But I think there is something to be said for like pushing it in your own face just to like remind yourself on a consistent basis like oh yeah this is how I should be operating yeah that and writing down your goals it's, that's that's the best way to make Dylan happy oh, I make I make, I make lists like you wouldn't even imagine I never finish the lists but I always make them oh love well, it's, I, you know one of my favorite quotes talking about quotes is uh, plant plans are useless planning is essential oh that's a good one whoa right that's a really, really I think about good. it all I, the time I've always liked that one you should come over and write quotes on my walls with me I would love that that sounds great I, I used to have a I used to have a wall back in New York like that where I would write quotes and, and whatnot so I, pre I appreciate that I'm actually I'm trying to my uh, our, our friend um, Matthew Chaim who was on the podcast he wrote a really really great article about like NFTs and all that yeah and at the end of the article said just like anything else like this is a tool uh, what will we build what will we build and I feel like that quote what will we build, what I, will I, we build? I just want that on my wall like I just want I, I want like a big poster that says what will we build because that's like really really inspirational to that's me. great I what if that. this podcast um, is just that you just it's about three seconds long and it's, and it's you saying what will we build I think that's what will we build I've got that's it great <laughs> next question do you have a non-musical hobby okay I go to the beach every Sunday with my friend Luke because I don't I, I also work out every day back home but it's not because I like working out it's just because it's with like the three friends I quarantine palled with in Washington I don't know dude I love ultimate frisbee I want to play like outdoor sports because I am um, oh dude I love ultimate frisbee if you, it, it, when, when things are safe again if you want to play I'm super down you'll kick my butt but I'll be really competitive Um, I, I, I also because I'm huge I also read a lot I read this Murakami book this year that changed my life. Which which, which one? one? Which one? I'm gonna say it wrong, but Killing Commodator. Oh, Josh oh, Jacobson I, I, gave it to me. Um, I haven't heard that one. Honestly, I read it and I felt like I was reading about myself. Like the, it's about a guy who got out of a six year relationship, and then like he spends the book like basically figuring out how to make really authentic art, like he always was able to. Wow. When initially he was just like doing portraits to stay alive, and and it explores huh. that. It explores the depravity of feeling like you want to die after a relationship, hollow. And then, like, uh, it's actually really interesting because he basically goes insane. Uh, there's magic in the book, and it could be... It's such that he only ever observes it himself, so he 
he right. could just be insane going through well, mental that's, breakdown. That, uh, I read Kafka on the Shore by Murakami, and there was also some like magical realism in that. Yeah, yeah. He, also, he does that so well. But also, it could have just been in in some of the characters' heads. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's really it's really really cool. It's pretty whack. I I love it. Murakami's great. I actually have that book. I'm about to read it. Would you be a pirate? Uh, uh, yeah. No. I don't want to pillage people, but living on the sea sounds great. Do you have any tattoos? If so, what was your first? No, but I'm still disturbed about the pirate thing. All right, so here's the thing. I would be, I would be, like, like, I feel like the, the labels are pirates, and they're taking shit that isn't theirs. You gotta be like a, a Peter Pan pirate. I'm like, I'm actually like thinking about the idea of stealing from people, and it's, Mm -hmm. I find it disturbing. Okay, but here's the thing. I feel like, I feel like. Sailing is great. I feel like labels are like the East India Trading Company, where they are they are like taking things on a massive level. Okay. Uh, and pirates are the ones. I mean, who, piracy literally broke the music industry. Yeah, piracy broke the music industry. Pirates, I think pirates. Pirates of the internet are, are, are the ones were stealing from the labels. Yeah. Oh, wait, like, are, I, you, I, are you asking if I paid for Ableton? No, I, no. <laughs> I did. I did pay for it. Uh, oh, good. Oh, yeah. No, no, yeah. no. For sure. For, we, we believe you, of course. I also um, I paid for Waves, too, which I heard is something you're not supposed to do. I think you should pay for music tech companies because that just helps them make better programs. Yeah. Like, I feel like, piracy like is, access. Pi- piracy is not a, a, a victimless crime. Right. Well, no, I, 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 I'm just I, quoting the front of those movies. Come on. You no, wouldn't download a car. You wouldn't download a baby. I <laughs> I just I, I just think I just think that like I would download uh, a baby. I think all DAWs should be like ten dollars a month. Um, like I think that there should be like, like Pro Tools. I, yeah, like Pro Tools does, but like Logic doesn't have that. No. Like I think that there should be like an easy access to the actual DAW like platform of making music. Like have that be like zero bar for entry. And then if you want like- I mean, I think I, I kind of have an issue with that on, on the basis of like, I paid $140 for Logic and I never have to pay that again. And I have free upgrades forever. Like versus if you're paying $12 a month for Pro Tools and you're in the music industry for 30 years, that's like thousands and or, thousands or, or of dollars. Or pay to own, pay to own. I think, yeah, I think- Like pay, pay to own. Pay to but own I just mean to say that like, it, when you, if you're a kid who wants to get into music, your options shouldn't be garage band or nothing. Right. Like you're like you should have the opportunity to be able to access. Dude, you know, my access. mom. I think through. Mom I mean, Splice is me, selling some stuff, print to own, like yeah. Studio One. My mom wouldn't give me. Um, she she wouldn't pay for like Diablo Two Premium or or RuneScape Premium. <laughs> she wouldn't she wouldn't pay for like RuneScape Premium, and I like really wanted RuneScape Premium. So I don't I don't know why she would have paid for like a DAW. Well, I mean but that's <laughs> the thing too. It actually used to be it used to be that like you had to get like an M box. To get Pro Tools and that whole thing together was like four hundred five hundred dollars. So yeah. brings me back to the original point: pirates, pirates are not labels. Pirates are the ones that disrupt, disrupt the things and make labels go, huh? Well, maybe we need to do something different, like invest in streaming, which of course is also now bad for artists again. But at first, wasn't bad for artists. I'd still right. say it's good for me. I, I think it's I think it's broadly good. I mean, but, I, I, but think I don't streaming's, think they could pay we, more, I mean, but I don't think I don't think streaming would have I don't think streaming would have been as obvious of a choice if it wasn't for LimeWire. I mean, yeah, one hundred percent. You know, that is the I think well, they were solving the LimeWire problem and the and the the Napster problem. I, okay, 
I will say streaming is not all bad. I just wish they like had more ethics and like a bottom line for paying a yeah. consistent amount the same way that radio yeah, and transparency and, 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 transparency yeah, in that, in and yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I was on. A, I wish I wish they paid podcasters. Yeah, well, there are a lot of you know. I, I basically think that like if Congress could just pass some freaking laws that made it consistent like they did for radio a million years ago, then maybe the music industry would continue to exist healthily, and it wouldn't just be a bunch of execs stealing from artists. Yeah. And if while while we're at it for uh, Congress to define what a podcast is and also create uh, a royalty system for that too because it currently does not exist. They, Fun fact, they, podcasters don't get paid per stream. They keep changing the rules to make it so independent artists have a harder time. It's more confusing, more convoluted. And uh, yeah, there's a whole, this is a whole tangent, but I don't know if you guys have gotten into it where like if you don't claim a certain part of your royalty properly, then eventually after like a year or two, it goes to... Um, it like just goes back to the majors, the shareholders. Yeah. Of the yeah yeah. It's no, not, yeah, like, we, there's so many like convolute. Like I am so confused all the time. My friends are confused all the time, and I've just been like researching how to like get. Well, all and you either have to you either have to get an administrator who uh, handles your publishing internationally, who you have to kick back a certain percentage to. Yeah. Uh, or uh, you don't get that money. Yep. Uh, like it just goes. It just sits somewhere for two years in you know Australia or whatever uh which that feels weird like either i mean it's it's about as weird as like you have to pay somebody to do, to do your taxes that everybody is required to do and taxes um, are confusing come on and taxes taxes are like you know inherently confusing like everybody has access to the IRS handbook but also the IRS handbook is boring yeah um <laughs> let's just uh, uh let's just complain about the world right now i'm just i'm just saying pirates it would be cool to be a pirate you know, honestly, because, because pirates had a simple system, which was take care of your men and they won't mutiny. Uh, and not just men. I bet pi- women were pirates. You know what? Pirates, they didn't pay taxes. I'm a pirate yeah. for sure. But you want to know what pirates did pay? What? Uh, a percentage of their income to a socialized uh, health pet care plan. Uh, is that true? Pi- Pirates had fucking health care. Yeah, if you were if you were a pirate and you showed your little pirate coin, whatever. Then the, the witch pirate would take care of you. Like yeah, the, the pirate doctor would take care of you. Cause cause they actually had like a fucking socialized system. I would love to have a pirate doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Arr. Arr. Okay, Arr. what was your what was I'd be the pirate doctor? I feel like I just Arr. like killed one of your questions in like two words and ignored it. Do you have a tattoo? No. Yeah, do you want uh, you don't? So do, do you, you want, want one? one? Uh you know, I, I Ruben Juan told me I should get one, but um, jury's out. Cool, cool, cool. All right, there it is. Um, what was the first concert you ever attended? Yo, this one's, uh, I mean, I attended a lot of local metal shows growing up because that was what nice. was big in Washington, you know, that with the grunge and all that. Uh, my first real concert was actually at the Tacoma Dome. It was the Under, Cork, Under the Cork Tree Tour, Fall Out Boy. It was my sister's birthday nice. present. It was Hawthorne nice. Heights. Nice. Hawthorne Heights, All American Rejects. And nice. I'm so well, jealous. What's that? Skrillex's old band. Uh, from first, first, last. first last, they were yeah. there too, and I just remember Damn. like losing so much hearing and thinking it was so dope. And I also didn't know what to do with my hands. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Ricky Bobby in those interviews. I'm like, what do I do with my hands? And you're like, you see people like doing like the the thing with the devil horns. And then I was like, yeah, the, yeah. I, I was like, I love you. And then I was like trying to do the rap thing. And I was like, honestly, I didn't know how to participate in in the music, but it was a very formative experience. I would say I miss being young and naive and not knowing that my hearing was being lost. Like I, I loved my favorite experience was after a show, just like not like sitting on the train, not uh, home from New York, not being able to hear anything. Yeah. Like just, well, yeah. Cause the pressure against your head kind of feels nice. It feels nice. Yeah. It feels like you're a little drunk. Yeah. Well, and also it induces a fight or flight response in your body. Cause it's like your, your, your body is like, this is dangerous and it gives you hella adrenaline. Oh, like, and, that's why and, we like loud music. And then I went to all these metal shows. So I was getting like punched in the face by randos. 
Oh, yeah. I loved. I mean, that was the best part, dude. Yeah, I, I was like fucking Terminal I, Five. I almost yeah. fucking died yeah. at the Slipknot show. So, so I went to you know like exclusively hardcore shows, and then I I became a folk artist at eighteen, and I was just like, I, also same, also same, also. You're same. all sitting. Why aren't you punching each other? <laughs> it, it's it's like you're you're, punch, you're punching somebody in the face to Bunny Bear. Yeah, honestly, just like the the ending the ending solos of the live version of Blood Bank is the only appropriate oh, time in a Bunny Bear concert to, I to love punch that. somebody in the face, or just like during Creeks, just to right. really surprise somebody. <laughs> I met Justin a year and a half ago. No, you didn't. Had, That's and then we awesome. had burritos after his show. Him and Chris Messina and me and um, Chris Benson. Wait, That's fucked up. Fuck you. That's what? Yeah, they kept handing me his guitars backstage beforehand, and I was like, uh. Where and when and why and how and was he cool? He was the sweetest man. And he was like just a happy hippie dude. It was like. Yeah, he's just a happy hippie dude. And it sound, <sighs> it sound checked something broke. Like, this wasn't like an open sound check. We were just there because Chris makes his amps and we were like homies. And something broke, and Justin was just like hella nice. And he was like super nice to his guitar tech, was never a dick. And they just made a bunch of jokes with the group. Gave me a hug when I met him, and then gave me a hug afterwards and offered us burritos. We had like hella hot burritos and like. I, I'm so I've never been so jealous on this show. <laughs> yeah, I got you, you you have said for years and years you never want to meet him. I know, but if I do meet him, I want him to give me a burrito. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Like that's the best. Like I'm I'm <laughs> yeah, jealous so because I was, he I, got, had, I, was, I don't want to meet I him. Leaving, I want to be after I met him. Right. Yeah. I was yeah, so I I had met him. I met him um slightly earlier that day, and then we went and watched the show. I cried like a baby. Chris and I went backstage afterwards with the like homies that go backstage or whatever. It was a small group and it was just like their friends and family that they've been friends with for a long time, plus me and Chris, the rando odd men. Out. Chris is actually on the inside because they're friends, but I'm just like the rando there. They let me go. Um, we're talking, and then everyone leaves. And then we went to this parking garage because we got lost. Us and these two other dudes who are really great, really nice people. We're in this parking garage. No cars are in it. The lights are starting to go out as we're leaving, and we're like, this is insane. As we leave an arena, we walk out, and I see a glowing light with a guy dancing with a burrito listening to like um, Bruce Hornsby or something. And like, we walked up and it was Justin again. He's like, hey, you guys want a burrito? And we just like ate burritos with him and talked about like, we talked That's about amazing. Elliot. Uh, oh, what's, Elliot Smith? Yeah, we talked about Elliot Smith. And then we talked about um, Tierra Whack and just like funny things. And he was just like super positive. And I don't know, it was like five of us. It was It was honestly just an unbelievable evening. I missed an audition for a big artist in LA the next day because I like slept in and didn't fly back from Portland. Yeah. Still, that's that's a hell of a that's a hell of a story. That's like that's something you can take with you, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, um, I made a friend that night who I think is really cool. So it was I don't know it was it was, it was a good um it was weird. Yeah. But did you punch anybody in the face to uh blood bank or what? Sadly, no. Actually. Oh yeah, missed opportunity. Yeah, sadly no. But it, <laughs> that was that was a pretty formative. I don't even. He's just so nice. I just want to be nice forever. Saying, that's amazing. He, I think he he is kind of the epitome of just like fame didn't change. Him. Yeah, like fame, yeah that that he just like he is just like super duper normal and like any ounce like he he's I can I get the the sense that he is still baffled by his own success and spends all of his energy trying to just give back and do good. I, to be honest, we were talking about something when we were there that like it just felt like he is humble and genuinely so. It, like I don't yeah. even, I don't know about yeah. the word baffled, but I think that like. He can simultaneously own and be happy doing what he's doing and feel confident and comfortable. But then like people were like, why don't you reach out and work with this person? He was like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm just just doing my thing. 
And the yeah. way, I, you know, like I, I guarantee you, Taylor Swift reached out to him. I, you know, it's like, yeah, I think, I think yeah. she said in in the documentary that she did. Like, there's no, yeah, there's no way, like meeting that guy that he's over here being like collab, bro. Right, yeah. right, right. Well, also that that like uh, she she said in the documentary that like she was nervous to reach out to him. Yeah, and then she did, and she was just expecting like a double back, and he like wrote the whole outro section, which I think is the best part of the song, and that she was just like very floored by it and all that stuff. And here, you know, and here she is, like literally, you know, Taylor Swift. But that's awesome. That's magic, man. I I fucking I love that. That's <laughs> that's yeah, really that's cool. Really special. I love that. Uh, well, you recommended a book already, but could you recommend a movie and a TV show for us to watch? I think you guys should watch The Queen's Gambit. Fuck, Fuck you. I think you guys should should read The Queen's Gambit. Fuck off. <laughs> Woo! I don't like to recommend things like this because sometimes I'll watch something like Attack on Titan. And I'll be like, this is horrible, but it's so good. But it's I great. love Attack on Titan. Yeah, and, then, and then yeah. I'll like, you know, I'll watch like, um, I really enjoyed the Star Wars show, The Mandalorian. You know, Mandalorian's yeah, great, yeah. Basic basic human but there's there's nothing like particularly like edgy that i've watched recently and been like that that's it although my favorite movie is arrival and everyone should watch it yeah arrival's that's great a, that's a great movie. arrival's awesome yeah i like watched it the first time and i was hella confused and then i was like well that's crazy at the end and then like the second time i watched it i was like hella chill and then the third time i cried like a baby from like the first five minutes <laughs> all the way through. i love arrival because i also don't subscribe to linear time so i'm like very down for that yeah you know i think it dude um, so crazy also have you read the book have you read like the book it's based on I, honestly i didn't know it existed will you buy it for me i i would Except for I borrowed it from from somebody. Actually, shout out! I uh, I, uh, I borrowed the 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 book of Arrival from uh, Peter Zizzo, who's Avril Lavigne's producer. Nice. Um, like on the first record, like he did like Nobody's Fool, and and I think he like has a writing credit on Thousand Miles by uh, Vanessa Carlton. Um, the greatest song. I did a writing session with him and Pixie Lot, uh, and I didn't know who she was, but but all my English friends were freaking out. And uh, I borrowed that book from him at that session, and I've had it now for two years or three years. <laughs> oh, you still have it? I still have it. I, I, I have to return it. Yeah, I try not to. <laughs> I try not to borrow things anymore. Um, I lend things all the time, but I have a list of people who have my shit. I borrowed my friend Noel's Rhodes. She's like my first like hometown friend who did a great recording, not at a big studio, and it just like changed my life. So I actually produced for her recently, and, and it made me really happy. It was very full circle. But I and I taught her how to record her stuff, which is cool. But Noelle um, let me borrow her Rhodes for like a day to work on her song with it, and I kept it for two months. Like yeah. like the Rhodes her father left her when he passed away. Like oh my her, god! Oh, wow. Like like this is not a small thing. This this Rhodes is like very important to her and I just like had it for two months and she's like do you still have my roads and I was like yeah and she's like okay just checking and I was like yeah do you, uh, do you want it back she's like I mean yeah and I was like okay <laughs> and I got it back to her like three weeks after that do you have a scar with a story I have a, a scar from my dogs used to okay so we got a rescue and they they were both boxers and one was hella protective and one wasn't one just like was a chill homie but the protective one was like way smaller and would start fights whenever the other one would like come and chill with me. And so like one time one like jumped for the other one's neck and I grabbed the little one who's like grumpy as hell. And I picked it up <laughs> and the really big one like grabbed my hand and like got some serious bite marks there. But I'll definitely do it. Yeah. I'll that dog like do was the sweetest dog in the world and like immediately like recoiled and was like, oh no, what have I done? And then like they, <laughs> they never fought again. I also like probably like threw the dog onto the couch. Aww. I was like a huge muscular boxer, big chiller. Yeah. Her name was Ruby. She was great. I I I, um, I I had a boxer named Lucy. Dude, growing up, boxer people. I want a boxer so bad. 
I want just another dog. I miss my dog. My I, I had the the one who bit me's daughter. Like they had a puppy and I kept that puppy its entire life from birth, like the day it was born until the day she passed away. And that dog was like so incredible, so loyal. So just like I could speak like brand new commands and she would just like do it. My my, my childhood dog just, we we just put him to sleep cut like about two months ago or three months ago. Dang, dude. And that was tough. That was a tough one. I was very sad about it. Uh, and I, I don't feel like I'm in a place where like I could like take care of a dog comfortably. Yeah. But same. I, I hope to at some point be at a place where like I can like take care of a dog and like do the laundry, you know? In the pandemic, I started to miss that dog. She passed away years ago. And I just like, I was like, dog. In the middle of the summer, I really missed Cleo. It was it was weird. I just like would wake up and feel super lonely, but for my dog. That's a weird one. No, I, I I get it. Yeah. All right. Next question is, what are three thoughts you have at this very moment? Of course. How many people blink on this? Does everyone blink? Uh, everybody says they're hungry. Yeah. Oh, I actually have to pee. Yeah, I'm not hungry. I had nice. like a smoothie right before this and it was dope. Would you like to segue this into what is in my smoothie? Because I think it's interesting. It's like, yeah, what was, yeah, in, your what was in your smoothie? I'd, I'd, Spinach, yeah. avocado, berries, half a banana. It's half an avocado also. Oat milk. And almond milk, the organic kind, and specifically, and then like a scoop of this peanut butter powder my roommate bought once, and it is still there, so I keep using it. That so you're you're, you're you're definitely back in LA. Yeah. Oh, when I'm home, I eat just whatever YOLO, and when I'm back, I just like eat that smoothie, and then I eat like this kale egg dish for dinner sometimes, and that's kind of it. Or I go out. Can I can I, can I be a hundred percent on the podcast f- for a second? I I got one of those targeted ads that said that like I have like eight meals worth of poop in my colon, and I have not stopped thinking about it. Dude, that's horrifying. I know, right? Like I I I'm like fuck. I, 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 that's either true in an amazing ad or not true in an amazing ad. Right. Yeah. I follow this doctor on Instagram. He's like the only non-music, non-personal friend or someone that, ins- or like nature thing that I follow. And he just says stuff like that all the time where I'm just like, uh. <laughs> and, and that's why I follow him. I feel like he's the thing that shows up the most in my feed is him being like, if you eat bread, you're going to die. And I'm like, I know <laughs> it's totally true. Every time I eat bread, every time I eat, dude, every time I eat bread regularly, I just become like hella chub. And every time I stop, I look like the same to everyone else, but I personally feel less hella chub. Well, this, this, uh, this ad that I got was like, um, does your stomach hurt constantly? Uh, are you, are you tired all the time? Do you have eczema on your face? And I'm like, okay, I'm listening. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty specific. Yeah. I'm like, yes. Why? (laughs) But you still have two thoughts at this very moment you need to to, to express. Oh, gosh. Actually, one of them's pretty vain. I, I wonder what the stream count is on the record that dropped yesterday. Here's the deal with that. And I think that this this this, this disclaimer is the only disclaimer that matters to me. I've struggled for years, and, and I think the rest of us have, and a lot of my friends um, are still like really trying to find a way to break through in different ways in the industry. And everybody has different ways that they pay the bills, and everybody has ways that they would rather pay the bills, um, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at. But I, I think... Dude, I, I literally had like 20,000 total streams on Spotify last March. I released my first song with this under my own name. March 18th was like the first day. And in a year, it just like went from like 20,000 streams total ever to like three and 35 million. This is a place to celebrate achievements. Like, yeah. I, I don't think there's a great John Bellion line, which is like false mon- modesty is corny as hell or something like false that. False modesty is just a corny, w- corny way to be arrogant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. False modesty is just a corny way of being arrogant. Um, and, and I feel like so often we have to like police ourselves for the ways that we express how we feel about our own successes. 
Yeah. And there, I, I just don't have room for that in my in my own psyche. Like I think that especially like on this podcast, like your name is on the episode. Might as well just like be stoked that like you're you know people are listening because that's yeah. all we want is like for people to, to 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 listen. You know. Well, I think that there's a like I don't view that as my only success, and it's so cool that that happens. But I also. Um, I'm really excited about my friends. I'm really excited about like the Jonah and the Lizzie songs doing so well. And for me, I think a lot of, um, I don't know, it's just validating to have my music heard somewhere. And and even when the singing stuff inevitably does not as well, it's cool and it'll be exciting for me to release that and to have somewhere else where people are actually hearing in mass. You know, I don't know. I feel like it checks my ego thing and it also checks my like paycheck area. I respect that. I mean, yeah. we're in a very similar boat. We, ho- we hope that we can get a label on our next EP and that it can do better than everything that we put out because that would that would be a way for our stuff to be on the same page as some of the stuff we've done we've done for other people, you know. Yeah. Like we've 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 produced or written songs for folks that have hundreds, uh, thousands, or millions of streams, but we've and we have a hundred, couple of hundred thousand uh, streams on our. I mean, yeah. I think in total we have about five million streams yeah. on Spotify. Yeah. Um, but no song has broken a million, and our last project did fine, but it didn't do crazy good. You know, so it's like I totally get that, and I I appreciate that. But you you do have one more thought in this very moment you need to express. Honestly, I'm just thinking this beer can shaker I showed you beforehand was probably my best $10 purchase ever. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, like, like, just listen. I, this is an RE20, and it's, it's you know, it is what it is. But this, this sounds so smooth. Like, just imagine putting that in the background of your song and, and, and feeling the sand up against the beer can, up against your face, the refreshing taste of Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, to be honest wow. with you, like I'm a I'm a rainier guy because it's from Washington, where I'm from, and I have a lot of local pride. That's fair. Yeah, but still, I, I mean, that sounds that 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 sounds that sounds really really good. Are you ready for the f- final question? Are you ready for the final question? The yeah. hardest final Final question. Final question. What are you looking forward to? Oh, I'm looking forward to releasing the vocal music. I think that I I think it's going to be a big emotional weight off of my back to be releasing Withero music and and into having and and to have people know that and see that side of me. I think my best work is my own music. Um, I, I love what I've done with people and it really impacts me and I think it has a greater audience. I think it's probably more accessible. I think the, the writers like Jonah and Lizzie and Loive as writers and as artists are so potent and what they do is incredible. But what I selfishly love the most is is that, but I also really love my own music. I love my band with Josh. Those songs really matter to me. I got Rayleigh to sing on one and India Carney sang on another. And I just feel like there's this level of that feels like expression for the sake of like I almost don't want to put it on Spotify because I don't want to see streams next to it. I just love that music and like, <laughs> yeah. I, I also have this song called Stargazing. I started writing this summer and I'm excited to finish it. I'm going to finish it in the next few weeks, recording wise. I already finished writing it and like that song came from such a, a real place and the whole record did emotionally that like I just want people to hear it and I don't. I hope it finds an audience. I don't expect it to because I'm not very good at marketing right now. But I think that that music is the best and most important music I've ever made. And so I'm excited for it to exist. Who knows what'll happen? Well, we can't wait to hear everything that you're up to. I'm really proud of you, man. And it's really good to catch up with you too. I feel like we would oftentimes see each other out and about, and it's been a, a year 
since we stopped yeah. being able to be out and about. So it's just, it's nice to know that like you are being true to your artistry, like being true to yourself and just are, are the same awesome person that I remember, you know, from, from, from the before times. So uh, thank you so much, Dylan, for being on our show and we can't wait for everything you're doing. Everybody listening, check out, check out everything that, you, that, that he's been up to because he's, Got a million projects and a million more on the way. Appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for letting me ask you questions back. I feel yeah, like, of course. Tr- truly, I, I feel like you two are have been kind of this mystic force. I'm, I'm friends with you, but I see so much work that you do. And um, I think you, like you said before, you embodied the ethos of really just like whenever there's a project that's worth doing, you just do it and you don't really stop and you don't shy away from the fact that sometimes that's a high quantity. So I don't know. I just have I've deeply respected you guys for a long time. So thanks for having me on. And thanks for letting me ask you some questions about really multitasking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we feel the same way. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Lion. We'd like to thank Isotope, The Truffleist, and our Patreon subscriber, Alan C., for their support. If you'd like to show your support, ask our guests your questions, talk to us on Discord, and get a shout-out at the end of each episode, subscribe to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash talkinglion. Thank you for listening, and see you next time. This is Talking Lion, bringing you the words of tomorrow's stars whenever we drop these episodes. <laughs>